Welcome to the CEC report for the 23rd of June 2017. I'm Elisa Barwick and joining me today is CEC Research Director Robert Barwick. Welcome Robert. Thanks Elisa. And on today's show, neocons give Australia the job of starting a war with China and London Fire exposes deadly truth about neoliberalism. Now before we get started today, we do have the sad announcement that today is the last time that a show, the CEC report, will be broadcast on Channel 31 or Channel 44, depending which state you're in, which is the community television that's been screening the show and where it began, actually. Well, we had a very good relationship with them. Sadly, it, the relationship hasn't ended. That's not the sad bit. The sad bit is why we're going off air. Um, the Turnbull government has yanked the, the bandwidth away. Uh, for no reason, they've got nothing to do with it. They, they, they've got nothing for, else for it to do yet, but they've not let um, public access TV have it anymore. So that said, um, there's a few options for the viewers, Elisa. The, the, all the Channel 31 um, organisations in the various capital cities are going to continue on a digital platform. So you can look that up and get used to The only options are online, so you can look that up and get used to that. Uh, probably the simplest one is to go to YouTube and become a subscriber to our YouTube account. Now, subscribing to a YouTube account doesn't cost you any money. You just go to the CEC's YouTube page and you click subscribe. And what happens then, the benefit of that is you get the CEC report as soon as it's posted online, much more um, up-to-date than, than even on Channel 31. So there's a benefit for that. We will still be on uh, Foxtel Channel Aurora or Channel 173, which comes standard with all Foxtel packages. It's, they do have a public access. It's on a Wednesday night. On a Wednesday night on that. So people can watch us there if they have Foxtel. But in general, I encourage viewers to get onto YouTube. Okay, now starting our first subject today, neocons give Australia the job of starting a war with China. Now, we talked about this a little bit on last week's show very briefly, and we want to elaborate really because this is an existential question for Australia, particularly with what we're being asked to do. Um, so basically we've seen media coverage in recent weeks which has focused on big donations coming from Chinese corporations linked to the Communist Party into Australian political parties, Labor, Liberal, Nationals, etc. We've also heard talk of Chinese censorship, coercion and even espionage. Um, now, first I want to say that if this were working. Uh, <laughs> you mean, you mean so, if they were being successful in buying influence? Exactly. Yeah. Well, why isn't Australia the number one partner of the Belt and Road Initiative? We haven't even signed a memorandum, memorandum of understanding, which countries like even New Zealand have. So it's obviously not working. So that's the first point. Um, yet our Attorney General, George Brandis, has called this activity foreign interference and a threat to our sovereignty and the integrity of our democracy. Such as it is. Um, so it's having some impact, who knows what. Now the real story here is that we have an Anglo-American empire, aka the City of London Wall Street apparatus that has controlled the world through the purse strings for many decades, which are determined to prevent the rise of China which would spell the end of its reign. And they have to be determined, Elisa, because their policies, neoliberal policies, self-inflicted, have destroyed those economies. Britain is a basket case, America's a basket case. China doesn't have those policies, it's risen. Mm. And the entire global financial system is collapsing, which actually China is the one country that's kept the world going since 2008, since the GFC, um, which is you know, not finished yet and is about to unfurl an entirely new phase. 
Um, China pumped about $20 trillion odd into the global economy through its development projects since that period, <clears throat> which has stimulated the global economy. And China itself, in the last two to three decades, has lifted a nearly a hundred, nearly a billion people, I should say, out of poverty. And basically, that's the recipe it wants to share with the rest of the world. So the question is, why is that a threat? Why is uplifting Africa, the Middle East, developing these land masses, Eurasia, South America, which wants to mesh in with the land Well, bridge? people say, oh, yeah, but, yeah but, 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 but what's in it for China? Because, of course, by default, the way you're supposed to treat Africa is going there, kill them all, steal their resources, set up big corporations on the base of it and call yourself the British Empire. That's the way you're supposed That's to treat it. That's what it them. has been. What's in it for China? Well, China does have self-interest here. It's raised a billion people out of poverty. It wants to keep growing. And the best way to keep growing is help other countries become prosperous so they can become their future trading partners, right? Not... You're going to run out of resource if that's what you're based on, right? You've got to do it another way. And they don't, so they have to then try and say, well, oh, everyone should assume that China is doing what, if we were in the same position, if we, the British or Americans, in that position, we would be a, a, a threatening imperial power. So that's what China, you have to assume China is being. Mm. And it's a wrong reading. In 5,000 years, China has never colonised any other country. Now, the big, big threat, though, on the horizon for the Anglo American oligarchy would be if America were to join this Belt and Road Initiative and this idea, as Roosevelt envisioned after World War II, of uplifting nations across the globe to make better trading partners and the rising tide lift all boats idea also that Kennedy had. Um, so Australia is being asked to step in because since Trump was elected, uh, you know, America has wavered in that Anglo-American mission. And in fact, um, Jake Sullivan was interviewed in the Australian Financial Review on the 12th of June. He's a former senior foreign policy aide to Hillary Clinton. And he said he was really surprised that uh, Xi Jinping, the Chinese president, was able to win Trump over so easily when they met earlier in the year. They were not expecting that. So he said, we need Australia as one of our closest allies in the region to be clear-eyed by the challenge China poses, even as we all work together to avoid confrontation and manage China's rise. And also I want to quote uh, Jeff Raby from the AFR of 19 June. He says that the Australian government seems to have decided that Trump and his less confrontational position on China are merely an aberration. Australia then needs to hold the line against China until the US administration comes to its senses or is replaced. The old order can then be at least partly restored. Let me interpret that for a second. So things before Trump was elected, things were going along very well with our plans for war with China to make sure that they never got to become a rival to us. Trump's come along, and even though we've got people in his administration that might want war, there's others, and he, he personally wants to do business with them instead. Shock, horror, who can take the point on making sure that things are still um, tense with China and keep provoking them? Oh, the good old Aussies will. Hmm. That's, that's hence the headline of this title. The scandal is not that neocons give Australia the job of starting a war with China. The big scandal is stupid damn Australians yep. are taking the job of starting a war with China. Mm. And the, um, you know, the situation vis-a-vis -vis the China, South China Sea has calmed down. I mean, there was a big effort to blow up the North Korea situation around uh, the, the Easter period and blow that up. There's efforts to blow up the um, South China Sea, particularly with John McCain being over here. And I, I want you to talk about this a bit because we've had a whole host of very high level US leaders over here, the Vice President Mike Pence, US Secretary of Defence James Mattis, former US Director of National Intelligence James Clapper and Republican Senator John McCain. 
So I call them a conga line of neocons, to quote a famous paraphrase. Um, Mark Latham, not, paraphrase Mark Latham. Um, so the thing with McCain is he's one of the most demented people in American politics, right? And he has, he's an arch warmonger. He, there's a handful of people responsible for the bloodshed in the Middle East. He's one. I mean a handful. He's one on that handful, right? This guy is bad, bad news. When he came to Australia a few weeks ago, the worst thing about his visit was the, the a main headline um, in, a, in a newspaper was quoting all the things he was saying we should do against China. And the headline is attributed all those policies to Trump. No, Donald Trump, John McCain does not speak for Donald Trump. He's, the, he's Trump's biggest enemy in the Republican Party, right? This was being presented as, oh, this is American policy mm. Australia has to go along with. No, this is a neocon cabal in the United States and associated with people in Britain that want Australia to do this, mm. right? So that was, that was McCain. So just, just before I go to the video, James Clapper is um, the former director of national intelligence in the United States under uh, Obama. And he's come out here. He's one of the main guys whipping up this anti-Russia thing against Trump. He's come out here, and you can see with what he said at the National Press Club, he wants us to do the, to do to, to do to China what they're doing vis-a-vis -vis Russia for the same purposes. Listen to what he says. Finally, as long as I'm into controversial stuff, I do want to say a word about China, since I realize it is much more of a preoccupation here than Russia is. I do so because I see some striking parallels between what our two countries are experiencing at the hand of these two countries. I've seen just this week compelling evidence of potentially nefarious foreign interference in your democratic institutions and from where that interference apparently originates. As Dennis Richardson forthrightly acknowledged, and as your news media has exposed this week, it is no secret that China is very active in intelligence activities directed against Australia, just as they are against us. And that China is increasingly aggressive in attempting to gain influence in your political processes as Russia is in ours. The thing among many inexplicable things that we find watching Donald Trump from this distance is why is it that his administration seems so keen to be courting Russia, I don't think at least that part is denied. Can you explain that? No, I can't. And I, uh, in my remarks, characterize that as uh, in inexplicable. I, I, I don't understand that. Um, there is, of course, uh, now an uh, investigation under the auspices of uh, Bob Mueller, by the way, an inspired, brilliant choice to do that, who was, uh, whom I've also worked with, uh, was uh, his, uh, Jim Comey's predecessor as a special counsel. And uh, as I've often said, it is absolutely crucial for the United States and, and for that matter for the world, for this presidency, for the Republicans, for the Democrats, and for our nation at large that we get to the bottom of this. Uh, you know, is there is there a smoking gun with all the smoke? And I, I don't know the answer to that. Uh, I think it's vital, though, that we, we find that out. And, and in, in the interim, no, I cannot uh, explain this solicitousness of, of, of the Russians. Uh, during my one and only first and last ever, I'm sure, sojourn to Trump Tower, um, 
uh, the then President-elect Trump uh, commented to me that, you know, wouldn't it be a good, a good thing if we could get along with the Russians? I said, sure. Uh, you know, whenever our interests converge, and they do occasionally, fine. But as far as our being uh, intimate allies, trusting buds with the Russians, uh, that is just not going to happen. It is, it, 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 is, it is in their genes to be uh, opposed, uh, diametrically opposed to the United States and the Western democracies. Now, Elisa, the, so there's, people can go watch that themselves on the National Press Club website. The thing that stands out to me, though, about Clapper's speech, this is a guy who's a known perjurer. He lied under oath in 2013 in the U.S. Congress because he was asked, does the National Security Agency spy on Americans? And he said, no, they don't. And Edward Snowden, the famous leaker who leaked the National Security Agency stuff, he said that he was motivated to do that leak once he saw that testimony because he knew that James Clapper was lying under oath. He's a known liar, and he comes and makes all these accusations about Russia and China and that um, in Australia. I have to highlight one of the things he said, it's not in the video. He went on about China and how bad China is. They use smart, they get, they, they get, their companies make smartphones that they can use, use to spy on people. Well, the very thing that Snowden exposed Clapper on was it was the NSA using American phone companies like Verizon to spy on Americans. Mm. That's how they were doing it. So what he's accusing China of is exactly what the NSA was doing to the United States, to, to American citizens, right? This guy. And did, did our reporters challenge him on any of that? No, they just no. licked his butt. Sorry to be crude. That's what they did. They were prostitutes in there, those, that, the press. And it was just a total disgusting exercise. Now, we've got to take a quick break, Sorry. but we'll keep talking about this subject right after this. Welcome back to the CEC Report, where we're discussing how the neocons have given Australia the job of starting war with China. Now, what they're doing, as we just mapped out, is actually working. And you can see that in the shift in Malcolm Turnbull, in our Prime Minister, who was once considered the most pro-China Prime Minister since Gough Whitlam, according to the AFR on 15 June, and has shifted from being uh, well-known as a quote-unquote panda hugger to China hawk in his attitudes towards China. And he also has publicly referred to China as our frenemy, you know, an enemy with which we'll be friends, you know, just to get benefits. Um, now, the AFR also said that his government's position is now arguably more strident than that of the United States under, uh, you know, hawkish Americans. And this is a real question as to why that would be the case. And you saw also probably the culmination point of the shift in Turnbull in the speech he gave at Shangri-La, the security dialogue in Singapore on the 2nd to 4th June, where he lectured China, you know, went through one point after the other that they must not take unilateral action, use coercion, breach the sovereignty of others. Uh, he raised the concern that China might use its economic largesse to dominate the region. Oh, and he, he contrasted that to the, you know, the importance of the US creating stability in our region and the US anchored rules-based order and so forth. Sorry, largesse, by the way, for the viewer's benefit, means generosity. Yeah. Right? Yeah, but that's we, using... we have a history as Australia from, with our ally, with Britain, etc., going back hundreds of years. British colonialism was never called largesse. It was the opposite mm. of generosity. It was yeah. looting. There was an L word, looting. <laughs> Here's a country that's doing using generosity. Oh, that's a threat to Can't the world. Can't trust it. <laughs> 
Um, now, actually, you see this policy shift because after Trump came in, you know, you can look back at all the commentary of what does this mean for Australia and our China relationship, America, you know, our alliances and so forth. Um, and at the end of March, Foreign Minister Julie Bishop actually brought all of the uh, diplomats back in from across the globe, which is a very unusual thing to discuss a new foreign policy remit and they're redesigning our foreign policy. You've had a reshuffle going on in Malcolm Turnbull's own um, senior government positions, including his new chief of staff, Greg Moriarty, who was a defence intelligence analyst. Um, so you can see that shift, but what we want to talk about now is who really does own the influence of Australia and party politics in Australia. Yeah, because there, there, as we said in this week's alert service, which people should call and get a copy of to get our full analysis of this, they're accusing China, Elisa, of trying to buy what America and Britain already own. Yeah. Right? There's, there's no independent Australia here. And the guy, if you read Malcolm Fraser's book, Dangerous Allies, he was our Prime Minister for eight years. He says Australia is not an independent country. Well, we were, for the first 50 years, we were led to war by Britain. So the last 50 years, we've been led to war by the United States. We don't make our own decisions here. And China, and, and, and in the recent decades, those countries have wanted us to go to war against China. So that's what China is trying to deal with. It's very interesting that um, Turnbull makes a shift after his Chief of Staff comes out of the Defence, defense Intelligence Apparatus. That ties in with the fact that the, the agency that blew the whistle on this China buying influence is ASIO. Yeah. These organisations, especially ASIO, they themselves represent foreign influence in Australia. ASIO, the Chifley government in 1949 did not want an agency like ASIO. They did not want a, a clandestine agency that would be a law unto itself. They thought we've got, we've got enough intelligence here, capacities with military intelligence, etc. MI5 at the insistence of British intelligence, foisted ASIO on, Austra on the Australian government because what they were setting up was called the Five Eyes mm. so that we have this intelligence apparatus between Australia, New Zealand, Canada, the United States and Great Britain. It's all based on... Britain set it up. It's all based on the British model where you have you know, these very secretive MI5, MI6 organisations that are not accountable democratically. They're not. There's a crown structure to which they answer, but it's not the democratic um, system. It's through the Privy Council, etc. Our, our countries, like Australia, we have a constitution. America has a constitution. We're far more transparent and accountable. But by setting up these agencies in us that are answerable to each other, they become a power greater than national governments. And any yep. government that has tried to defy them has copped it. So right now we're seeing Donald Trump, as messy as he is and blundering as he is, etc., all he wanted to do was as he said to James Clapper in that video, what's wrong with getting along with Russia? Well, what's wrong with it is your CIA, NSA, MI5, MI6 say you can't, so they're going to destroy you for trying. Mm -hmm. That's what's wrong with it, because Russia gives them the excuse to start wars. Mm -hmm. um, Jeremy Corbyn represents the same threat. They've called him a threat to his country because he wants peace. Gough Whitlam, Elisa, represented the same threat in Australia in 1975, and he was sacked by the Queen, but the CIA, MI6, both had a role in that whole thing, running railroading him out of mm. office. And our former Prime Minister, Malcolm Fraser, has warned in 2012, which you can look up, that any war between America and China will be a nuclear war, so Australia does not want to meddle in this. Now, we've got to take a break, but after this, we're going to talk about the fire in London. Welcome back to the CEC Report. We're now discussing London Fire Exposes Deadly Truth About Neoliberalism. 
So we're referring to the fire at Grenfell Tower in Kensington, Chelsea in London on the 14th of June. Of course, this is just down the road from Buckingham Palace, but a very poor area at the same time in, in certain towers at least. Uh, now, Robbie, you wrote in the alert service last week that this fire is emblematic of the inequality and corruption that is entrenched in the UK's oligarchical social political system. I'll go through the details quickly, but I do recommend it's worth reading them in the articles we have here in, inside and on the back page. Social cleansing is Malthusian genocide. Um, the bottom line is Britain is one of the most in, inequal, unequal countries in the world, and it always has been. That's what you've got to understand because it's got this, uh, this hereditary elite, right? So um, under post-World War II, you had Labor governments in Britain that said, no, we're going to make things more equal, and they, they built social housing and things like that. But from Thatcherism onwards, it was like, no, we're going back to the free market, neoliberalism rules, it's survival of the fittest. But these towers were left from the intentions of the previous government. So you've got a suburb like Kensington, the borough like Kensington and Chelsea, where you have the richest people in the UK and mm. some of the poorest people in the UK. And the council is a very rich council, but just neglected this, these, these buildings. There's a, a Glen, Grenfell Tower action group that campaigned for the fire safety of this thing. Two of the activists in that group died in the fire. Mm. By the way, you're going to find the final death toll is even much greater than the 79 they're saying now. This was an unmitigated disaster. Um, so we know you've heard about the cladding, right? The viewers have heard about the cladding, which is on Melbourne buildings as well, the same yeah. cladding. That was done, obviously, on the cheap. All those things contributed to it. But the main thing that contributed to it was a, was a neglect driven by the fact that those people shouldn't be here in the first place because there's been a big push in the Thatcher years. People, call it, people who oppose it call it social cleansing. Let's just, you know, create the circumstances of neglect so that they we can get them out of here. We don't want them here. Mm. And, in fact, the reason the cladding was put on the building, Elisa, is because the people who lived in luxury apartments around it thought it was an eyesore. Big and concrete. Big block. concrete thing. Mm. Put something on it that looks prettier. But it's flammable. Right? For our benefit. And they put on this thing that went up like a wick. Now, the you've got to understand that, you know, although the, the fire might have started by accident, the, the, the tragedy is not accidental, right? Because it represents how bad the British, the British system, especially economic system, is. What we do on the back page is we quote Thomas Malthus. Thatcher's near... Margaret Thatcher, when she started putting out her economic agenda. She was actually a, a, a protege of people um, in the Mont Pelerin society who were also eugenicists. And eugenics is this evil race science that Hitler embraced and stuff like that. But it has its roots in Darwinism and, and ultimately in Malthusianism because Darwin credited t Thomas Malthus with his survival of the fittest ethos. And Thomas Malthus was the guy who said, there's too many poor people, we have to find a way to get rid of them. That's essentially what he said. You've heard him report it. They, 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 they um, paper over that stuff, but it's there in his writings, in his famous 1798 essay. This is what he said in terms of getting rid of them. Instead of recommending cleanliness to the poor, we should encourage contrary habits. In our towns, we should make the streets narrower, crowd more people into the houses and court the return of the plague. Well, in 1798, that was a way to kill them. You know, they've just done it in a tower in London, right? And that's the system at work. Mm, exactly. Now, people can call in and actually subscribe to this publication, the Australian Alert Service, and we encourage people to do so. And also, because this show won't be screened on community television, go to YouTube, type in Citizens Electoral Council and click the subscribe button and then you'll be notified of any of these shows coming up each week. So you can keep, you know, people should, um, it's really important, we, we you know, the, the news we put out here, obviously people who watch us regularly know they don't get it anywhere else. 
you know, get the information that we put in the alert service. So we often base our show on what we've researched mm. and printed in this alert service. So, and yeah, you can subscribe. It's very important. That's what helps keep the CEC going as well. So thanks for tuning in. Thanks, Robert. Thanks, Lisa. And join us again next week for our show. Thank you.